Now, I do have the pleasure of inviting Dr. Linda Siegel, Professor Emeritus from the University of British Columbia to join me for her presentation today. Um, and I'm really excited because Dr. Siegel is uh, my mentor. And I know that the, the research that she did in the North Vancouver School District made a lot of great changes to how um, we teach reading and really provided us with information uh, of practices for everyone. And it gives us that local context to realize that what's being done or what's being recommended has been done in British Columbia schools, helping students uh, reach their best. So Dr. Siegel, do you wanna turn on your camera and we can start your presentation? So I will be monitoring for questions during Dr. Siegel's presentation. Um, I will ask them if I feel they're appropriate at the time. Uh, otherwise, we will answer questions at the end of her presentation, and we may say some to um, the panel discussion tomorrow. All right. Are we okay? Yep. Hit slideshow, and we're good to go. Okay. Well, the subject today is um, early identification of children at risk for reading difficulties, but more than that, what can we do to intervene in the early years to prevent or at least reduce the severity of reading difficulties? So uh, some of you may have heard these statistics before, but I think they're worth repeating. Uh, a significant number of the social problems that we experience are a result of undetected and unremediated learning disabilities. We did a study of the young people who live on the streets of Toronto, and we found that 82% had learning disabilities that had not been identified or remediated, and all of them had been in the Ontario school system for till at least grade 10, which is certainly long enough to be able to learn basic skills. We did a study of all of the adolescent suicides in a three-year period in Ontario. And every single one of these suicides had undetected and unremediated uh, learning disabilities. So obviously uh, there's a serious social problem. We know that many of the people in prisons have significant reading difficulties. Uh, many minority language uh, students fail to complete secondary school and undiagnosed and unremediated reading problems result in social and emotional difficulties. So I know that I am, as they say, preaching to the choir here, but we really have to do a better job of convincing uh, politicians, the people in power, that this is a significant problem. So we know how to do screening, and this is to detect children at risk for reading difficulties, best done in kindergarten, uh, it, although it could be done, these could be done even at the three and four-year-old level. Um, that is, there could be some screening then. Uh, so the screening, there are some systems of screening that are detailed and difficult to administer, but it has to be brief, no more than 15 or 20 minutes. It has to be done by people in the school, uh, teachers, teachers, uh, school psychologists, speech pathologists, uh, reading specialists, whatever, the screening procedures are simple and easy to do. And they have to be designed to produce useful, useful information. And we'll see more about that. Okay. Um, 
sorry, Dr. Siegel, can you talk about the recommended screening tools? Yeah, that's what Great. I'm going to do. Okay. The two major uh, aspects um, that we have to assess are basically print exposure, which we measure by letter identification. That is knowing the names, not the sounds of the letters. That's something that comes later. And in any language that's been studied, identifying the letters, the names of the letters is absolutely critical. Now, along with that, uh, phonological processing, that is being aware of the sounds in speech. This is absolutely critical, certainly in an alphabetic language, but also in uh, languages like Chinese, um, phonological processing, that is hearing the sounds and words is absolutely critical. So how do we measure these? This is a letter identification task that we used. This is just knowing the names of the letters and it's not, uh, it's not normed. So it's not designed to compare children to other children. It just gives you an idea of the letters that they know. But something that is normed, and these are three tests which measure letter identification and what children know about early words. So these, are, these tests are all normed. Um, they ask in the beginning the children the names of the letters, both some lowercase and some uppercase letters, and also perhaps a few simple words that they might expect children in, for example, grade one to have learned a few simple words. Uh, these are normed and it will not only give you an idea of how the children are doing, but where they are successful and where they uh, need help. So that's one aspect of it. And the other important aspect is phonological awareness. So there's this comprehensive test of phonological processing. Uh, and there are two subtests. There are a number of subtests, but most of them are not they're interesting, but they're not really relevant for screening. One is elision, that is saying a word without a sound. So say pink without the p. Notice we have the sound, not the letter. Um, and uh, there's also a blending subtest where they hear uh, three or four phonemes and have to blend them together in a word. Again, a very critical skill for reading. So these are, uh, this is a standardized test and it's a way of measuring these basic phonological awareness skills. So what do we do when we find a child is at risk? And by the way, uh, these, the interventions that I'm going to talk about are designed uh, for whole classes, that is for use in the classroom, they're not specifically directed at the children at risk because what we found over the years, it's what's good for at-risk children, good for all children. So there's no need to separate them in a special classroom. The purpose of this at-risk identification is to alert the teachers to children who might be struggling and to pay special attention to them. So what I'm gonna talk at some length about is one of these interventions called Firm Foundations. It was developed in North Vancouver by the teachers in North Vancouver for teachers. And it's activities and games that teach basic phonological and alphabetic skills. Abracadabra is a computer-based program developed by Concordia. 
oh, I forgot to say, Firm Foundations is available in English and French. Uh, Abracadabra, also available in English and French, is a, looks like a series of computer games. It actually teaches uh, basic phonological, vocabulary, alphabetic skills. Uh, and it's a lot of fun for the children. Now this, it's something that is abracadabra. You can look at it online and you could see like a, it's called Abralite. It's not the full version of it. The full version gets put on a school server and it's free. Uh, there are no charges to it, but the, if you use the light version just on the internet without the, the, going through the school server, it's slow, can be slow, and not everything is always available. Uh, it's much faster when it goes through school server. Again, completely free. And Play Roly is uh, a, uh, available on the internet for free. And it's an activity activities that you can do with children in the three to five-year-old range and to help develop their phonological skills. And uh, you can see demonstrations of it at the, uh, on the internet. It's again, completely free, no charges. So is this a place that maybe we could stop for some questions? Um, I've been answering them uh, as we go. One was about when you were uh, recommending that screening to occur. Okay. And, and that's uh, pretty early in kindergarten. Uh, and if there's a junior kindergarten or whatever it's called, the four-year-old kindergarten, that's the place. But I generally recommend that we give children a few months two or three months to get used to school if they haven't been going. And children who have English as a second language uh, that we give them till maybe till December or so um, before we do this. Uh, young children that age can catch up very quickly. Um, even if they don't know any English when they come to school, there's something about that young brain that learns languages very quickly uh, so, but I would give them two or three months uh, before we do that. And I think maybe with all children, it might be good to, to wait a few months till they kind of get used to, to school. Okay, were there any other questions? Yeah, do you feel that these resources, these websites are appropriate for older students? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, I think uh, Abracadabra has some more advanced skills like reading comprehension. Uh, I think children after about grade two or so might consider it babyish because it uses, I'm talking about Abracadabra, it uses a lot of pictures and uh, it, it's, um, it's really geared for younger children. However, I have used it with uh, children who've come to Canada. Uh, in this case, there were children from Syria who came when they were 10 or 11 and, uh, or 12, and of course had very little or, or no English. So, and they thought they were able to do these and they felt successful at these games. So. Uh, for older children who are English, first language English, probably it's not appropriate. Um, it's basically, they will perceive it as too babyish. But for um, older children who were coming without English, um, it's, uh, I think it can be used. Um, firm foundations is something that's typically used in a classroom. And there are some activities that might work with older children, but it's really, I think, grade two is the uh, oldest that uh, 
I would use it. Play Roly is really for three to five-year-olds and it's works on basic blending and some letter sound skills. And it's, it's good for the three to five-year-olds, but I don't think it would really work very well with older children. Yeah, if I can just interject, just because I think I have a little bit more experience with Abracadabra. So Abracadabra is part of the learning toolkit through the uh, Concordia and Oasey. And so they have a, a series of programs that go from the kindergarten to the high school level. And the um, the intermediate level uh, is called ISIS, I believe, and it is able to tie back into Abracadabra. And it's kind of that e-portfolio model where they can actually record themselves reading stories from Abracadabra uh, and going forward. I find the activities in Abracadabra okay for students to use on their own, especially if they have additional learning needs in the grades three, maybe four. Um, but it, uh, it definitely does have that babyish feel to it. Um, the next question is, apparently the website you provided for firm foundations isn't working. Do you oh. have any other ideas? Oh, well, it always has worked, but I could uh, um Try the North Vancouver. I got it. I got to it recently through the North Vancouver website. And it's, it's really a shame. Um, I have a, a, something later on where it is available from the BC Ministry of Education. So the actual book is available. And I yeah. don't remember how much it cost, but as far as I know, last time I checked, it was still available. It's a shame uh, that... You know what? Why don't we... I'll just put it in the show notes for the replays, um, but apparently if you Google it, you can get access to it. Uh, okay. We have a question about, uh, do you have any suggestions for non-level B assessments for screening? Uh, yeah, well, I'll... I'll talk about that. Now, okay, I don't know who it was. I'm a psychologist by training. I've had a lot of work in uh, a lot of uh, experience, uh, training, whatever, in assessment. And I don't know who decided what's level B and what's level C and what's level A. And I'm going to talk about some assessments uh, later on. But I don't see why. Um, a teacher cannot do uh, the rat, the woodcock, or the Wyatt. We're talking about the achievement parts of it, the reading. I, I see no reason why that can't be done. Um, nobody has given me a justification for that. It's just ridiculous. To be honest, I've trained grade 11 students to do assessments um, it was part of some social program and they did a fabulous job. So are we saying that the people who teach our children um, can't do it, but grade 11 students can do it? I mean, this is, this is just insane. What is it? Who decides that this is level B? Um, and what does that really mean? Uh, to administer it, uh, yeah, you have to... Um, have uh, some training in it, or you just don't open up the manual and start giving it. But, but the training is, um, I trained the, the teachers in North Vancouver to do the, we had a more complicated assessment. Uh, and I, I trained them in uh, two hour and a half workshops. And they were really quite, and they did much of the assessment. So I, I can't imagine that uh, it would be inappropriate um, for children, for, for teachers to do this assessment. Uh, there is another 
alternative. And it, it's really, it's very good for basic reading skills. I, I don't think it's particularly, it has a phono, I don't think it has a phonological awareness component, which I think is important, is the Castles and Colt, Coltart, Castles and Coltart. Uh, and it's available uh, on the internet. And uh, last I looked, it didn't cost any money, but that may have changed. I've heard that that's changed um, but from Australia. But again, it doesn't really do the phonological awareness skills that we need. So, and now, I, as I say, I don't know who decides this, but it's ridiculous. The C-top, um, it comes with uh, recordings. So if you can use a recording device of some sort, you're capable. There's no reason why you can't do that. All right, let's move on. Okay. So I'll tell you a little bit about Firm Foundations and we'll hope that's available in some way. Um, so we did a study of this in the North Vancouver School District, and I'm just gonna tell you a little bit about it. And we wanted to identify children at risk for reading difficulties, and we wanted to provide an appropriate intervention for them, which was Firm Foundations. Okay. So, so people, if you wanna just take a screenshot of this QR code, you can then, um use it or remember to put the code words uh, that were for Dr. Siegel in an email and send them to info at, at writetoreadinitiative.com. Okay. All right. So this was a, a longitudinal study that we started when the children were five and we tested them every year. And here are the results at grade seven when the children were 13. So they were five when they started in kindergarten and they were uh, in grade seven when we finished. So this was all the children in the North Vancouver School District. It was about a thousand children, um, 30 schools, varying socioeconomic levels and 20% came into school with no English. And here are the languages in the study. Um, you can see there's quite a variety of them. The most common ones were uh, Farsi um, and uh, Cantonese. So this is what it looked like when the children were in kindergarten. We used um, the uh, the in this case, these are this the result is from the RAT, the wide range achievement test. And we didn't have a standardized phonological awareness test, um, but we um, used uh, uh, some tests that we had made up, some tasks we had made up. But anyway, 25% of the children who had English as a first language showed up as being at risk, and 50% of the children who had English, had English as a second language showed up as being at risk. And this was done in December of the kindergarten year. So giving the children, the ELL children, some time to adjust, probably um, it, we may have some had a number of false positives. I'm sure we did because, uh, but we wanted to institute um, the intervention as soon as possible. And as I said, the teachers paid special attention to the children who were at risk. Okay, this is what the results look like at grade seven. That's 1.5% of the children were struggling with reading uh, if they had English as first language and 1.5% of the children who had English as a second language were struggling with reading. And we defined it as being 25th percentile or below on the, uh, the word attack from the woodcock or um, the word recognition, the, the reading test. So 
this is a very liberal definition of dyslexic. But even with that, we had most of the children reading very well. And on the average, um, all the children were reading, the ones who didn't have uh, dyslexia, were reading at the, uh, their were reading at the 83rd percentile. So they were doing much, much better than average. So the, the children improved after good reading instruction. I'll talk more about that. Uh, the percentage of dyslexics decreased. And we have found this repeatedly that children who have English as a second language who get good instruction are equal and in some cases performing at higher levels than native English speakers. So this is, I think probably all of you are familiar with the traditional model of uh, special education. Um, and probably many of you or teachers work within the context of this model because that's what's available. It's a deficit model and limitations and uh, difficulties are stressed. Classification is very important, like identification is very important before you get help, before you get access uh, to uh, any kind of uh, intervention or accommodation. Uh, standardized assessment and separate remedial instruction for each category. So, so we used the three-tier model or uh, response to instruction, response to intervention starts, and we concentrated on what is called tier one, good classroom instruction, early screening and monitoring. And monitoring is critical, and we'll see within the context of firm foundations how that's done. Um, the second level is withdrawal into a resource classroom on some sort of partial basis. And the third level is intensive help. And basically in North Vancouver, because the classroom instruction was so good, um, there was very little uh, tier two and tier three. And to be honest, at that point, we didn't know that much about what to do in tier two and three. So uh, we might have even had fewer children with serious reading problems if we um, had more of the intensive instruction. So, but the key is evidence-based classroom instruction, frequent monitoring of performance, help as soon as it's needed. None of this wait and see or wait to fail and intensive assessment as a last resort. In other words, uh, and this pertains to something I said earlier and continue to believe is that teachers really, teachers and other school personnel should really be involved in the assessment and uh, it should not be farmed out to, uh, to others. Um, I think that, uh, Teachers operating within the school can do a very good job, especially if they have some brief training to do it. And it makes the most sense for teachers to be involved in the assessment. So the, I'll just briefly talk about the advantages of tier one. It, it's much easier to do this intervention when children are younger. It saves money, it saves um, the child from severe behavior problems and school dropout and prevents drop in self-esteem, which children with reading difficulties experience. Uh, however, it does require some financial resources. For example, if you have teachers doing the assessment, you have to have TOC, teachers on call, um, who will take over their classroom. Now, it's only for two or three days while this assessment happens, but still um, it costs money. 
Uh, the teachers have to be trained um, and the assessment tools have to be developed. Um, so, but it's really, we need to, to change attitudes. Uh, there needs to be a recognition that teachers are really capable and the most important people to do this. So I'll talk a little bit about firm foundations. So it's based on auditory, it's an auditory training program and it can be used, uh, can be used, well, you'll see, um, individually and in small groups and for classrooms and talk a little bit more about that. But here's an example of something that we like to do uh, because we found, especially with the ESL children, or we had a significant um, population, significant number of children from uh, lower socioeconomic levels, First Nations backgrounds, et cetera, where um, there may have been some uh, lack of awareness of basic vocabulary. So for this game, each child or groups of two children gets a card like this with um, 25 pictures on it of objects that they can name. And these all came from the Firm Foundations book. So we, then we play bingo where the teacher will call out a word like uh, watermelon and the children have a little slip of paper or uh, a button or whatever, and they put it over. And of course, um, if you get five in a row five or five diagonally, uh, then you win, you get the, um, you win the prize, you win the game. So this is a game to introduce vocabulary. Um, and it's, it's just something that's fun for the children. You can also use it um, with the picture plus the word to begin to associate words with pictures or with the word alone. So that if you have, imagine a bunch of 25 words and the uh, teacher calls out the word car, you have to be able to recognize the word car. So that's just a simple technique to work on vocabulary. But Firm Foundations is particularly strong on phonological awareness. That's breaking speech down into smaller units. Words, syllable, phonemes. Phonemes are the smallest sounds uh, in a word. Um, and it's this lack of these phonological awareness skills are really a barrier in learning to read. Um, so just to go over the terminology, phonological awareness, the ability to break down speech into smaller segments, phoneme, the smallest unit of sound in a word, and phonics is a method of teaching reading that emphasizes at least in the beginning, the association of sounds with letters. This is really critical. Uh, so, okay. So one phonological awareness skill is rhyming. And the English language and uh, some of the other Germanic languages, uh, there is an emphasis on rhyme and children, it really helps for children to be able to rhyme. Uh, so that's one of the skills that Firm Foundations teaches. So this is an example of a game where you put out, let's say, uh, four by four pictures on the table. And uh, it, there are actually eight pairs of rhyming words. So the children have to, one child will turn over, say the one in the first position and then one in the second position. Do they rhyme? Um, yes, if they do rhyme, they're taken off the table. Uh, and if they don't rhyme, 
they're turned over and then you have to try and remember the position of those. So it's kind of a, it's a memory game, it's a phonological game. Um, in Abracadabra, there's a game like this uh, with either eight uh, or 16 um, pictures like this. And um, again, children enjoy, it's a kind of game that children enjoy playing. So Firm Foundations is really activities and games designed to develop phonological awareness. Now also letter sound relationships, vocabulary and syntactic or grammatical skills that's done mostly by the teacher providing uh, good models of uh, the appropriate language. So, um, it's mostly in the classroom. Um, there's Firm Foundations, which is the pre-reading and early phonics skills, and Reading 44, which teaches, uh, works on some comprehension strategies, summarizing, putting uh, sentences in order. Uh, there's a very good game in Abracadabra where you have a bunch of sentences and you have to put them in order so they make a uh, coherent story. And again, this is something that um, helps work on some reading comprehension skills. Okay, can we, can, can we have a few questions now? Sure, um, we have one saying, I wonder if there are any more ways to advocate for this approach to early and quality interventions. In Victoria, we keep hearing wait and see so consistently that I would be shocked if it wasn't within a policy. Many teachers are happy to proceed with the uh, acrimony of taking on the battle to get it done. We also have learning support teachers with the same lack of knowledge about reading skills interventions as classroom teachers, which is a struggle to address laterally as a colleague. How can we advocate for leadership to address this? You know, this is something that I, I actually have some sleepless nights wondering about because uh, this is so obvious. I mean, it's like I almost feel silly talking about this because everybody knows that this will work, but nothing happens. And I think um, that teachers, through their uh, organizations, through their, their unions, have to um, demand this. Uh, it's, I think if it comes from the teachers, it's, it should be hard to ignore. Um, so I would be very happy to help any teachers, uh, any teacher organizations, or teacher groups within a board, whatever, to help argue this case. Um, and, in the long run, or even in the short run, this is going to save money because it doesn't really cost anything except for the, the TOCs. Um, that's the only cost of it. Uh, and it's certainly so much cheaper than the money that's wasted on intervention, expensive intervention programs, I mean, firm foundations, Last I looked, it costs about $40 for the Firm Foundation booklet, which book, which the teacher keeps forever. So it's one expense of $40. And then uh, it's very easy to use. You can just photocopy and cut out things. And, um, so it really doesn't cost any money. So I think, I think the teachers... Uh, and the reading specialists, and uh, I'm not sure about the uh, governing uh, the structure of it, but it, if it's this kind of grassroots movement, um, and I'm sure that there are parents who would be willing to support this also. So it doesn't seem like the, uh, the governing bodies or the higher administration is going to do anything about this. So I think it 
it really has to come from the teachers. And I say, I'll do anything to help them. Well, and I think it's important to note that you were actually hired by the BC Ministry of Education to review the curriculum uh, years ago. And you did it, and then they ignored your recommendations. Uh, another important thing to mention is we ha- there has been an active push to get information about early screening. You know, we had Louisa Motes and other people up in British Columbia in the early 2000s trying to push for this change alongside Dr. Siegel and other advocates within the community. And we keep on getting roadblocks. Um, and, and I know this from a personal perspective as a student with dyslexia, uh, who, and my mom was president of the International Dyslexia Association, pushing all this towards the government, asking for change. There has always been this movement for change. And unfortunately, as a parent, I'm seeing this wait to fail model occur with my own children, um, even with the advocacy that I'm doing. So uh, we really need to do what we can to make this grassroots movement become a grass fire that gets, you know, more attention this summer. Uh, And anything that any of you guys can do, I definitely encourage coming into contact with me through the Right to Read initiative. Uh, Dr. Linda Siegel is very generous with her time. This is a passion of ours and we want to see change. Yeah, and that's, say it, it, it's really, we've been trying for years, but we don't give up. No. Is there uh, another question? Um, ones that are better for the end. Okay. All right, so this is what Firm Foundation works on. Um, Rhyme detection, initial sounds, segmenting, blending, sound discrimination, and finally, it's not a comprehensive program of uh, phonics or letter sound correspondences, but it's it's a good start. Um, And um, as I said, there are some circle skills which involves teaching the whole class on a particular skill. There are what are called center skills where there's practicing in small groups. And this is where teacher has an opportunity to work with a smaller group and assessment. And this is an answer to the question of um, non-level B tests or maybe level A tests. Um, Within firm foundations, there are a number of little tests of, uh, or assessments of some of these specific skills. And they're actually quite good. Now there used to be on the uh, North Vancouver website, a lovely film, a lovely video of doing all this. and uh, about firm foundations and how it was used and how the teachers uh, would prepare games and activities for parents to work at home um, if they wanted. Uh, A lot of good work went on in the classroom, but um, for maybe some of the children who were struggling or for some of the uh, ELL children, Uh, the parents reported that working with their child helped their English skills. So uh, this is what is available within Firm Foundations. Um, And I just wish the video were still available um, because you you really can see it in operation and you can see how the assessment uh, goes on. There's one of a... uh, a Persian speaking boy came in knowing only Persian to kindergarten and the teacher is working with him doing the assessment and, and March. And he gets, he gets a few things wrong, but basically he's doing very well. So this is six months exposure to English 
and he's virtually fluent. Um, and for those of us who struggle to learn foreign languages, uh, it just doesn't seem fair, but okay. Uh, so the other uh, thing that's available is Reading 44, which is um, working, as I said, on strategies and uh, basic reading comprehension skills. Okay. Now, abracadabra, we've talked a little bit about it, uh, and it develops these phonological awareness, letter sound relationships and reading comprehension skills. And this is not just for children who are struggling. This is, it looks to a child, it's like a computer game. Um, uh, I've seen this used in a variety of contexts, uh, most, re most recently before the pandemic in Kenya. And uh, it was, uh, the, the children just loved it. Now there they have problems with uh, the electricity going off uh, and they have maybe 50 children in a classroom, but even with that, they were working in groups of twos and it really just had amazing success with it. Um, okay. So this is, this is what some of the screens look like. And um, there is a, a lot of work in the beginning on hearing the sounds and recognizing if two sounds are the same. And uh, there are some simple spelling games and also uh, activities that are, that are fun. And so uh, it's, uh, it's really, it's really just um, a lovely thing. I used it with my grandchildren um, and they weren't particularly struggling with reading, but they just really enjoyed it. It was just fun. Uh, so it also has the uh, opportunity, it has the uh, software that it could read out loud. Uh, to children. Uh, these are just some of the stills from it. So here are where some of the, uh, where the resources are available. And as I said, Firm Foundations and Abracadabra are available in uh, English and French. Okay. And this is a little plug for my book, um, which, uh, that maybe some of us are used to commercials. So this is a <laughs> commercial, but we'll. It's, it's a great book that uh, definitely helps have a, a more real understanding of the various uh, learning disabilities. And I love how you draw on popular fiction characters in this book. Um, so let's get back to some of the other questions. Uh, well, because we, we still have a little bit of time. Um, so one's more from the beginning of the presentation, and they were wondering, how can you determine the existence of an undetected learning disability in a youth who has committed suicide? Oh, how did we discover that? Yeah. Okay. Well, what we did is we, we had the suicide notes. And so we analyzed them for uh, spelling, grammar, uh, evidence of uh, logical thought, et cetera, handwriting. And we then dictated these notes to either uh, high school students, these were all uh, uh, secondary school students, who either had dyslexia or didn't have dyslexia. And of course, the, the ones who didn't have dyslexia didn't show the same spelling, um, grammar, handwriting difficulties. So the ones who did, their notes look like the ones who uh, committed suicide. But one could argue that maybe it was the stress of 
their emotional difficulties and their decision. Uh, so what we did was we took the suicide notes of older adults, um, all of whom had decided to commit suicide because they didn't want to be a burden to their families. And of course, we found that there were, there were not spelling mistakes, grammatical mistakes. There weren't grammatical mistakes. Their handwriting was good. So from basically it was the uh, analysis of the suicide notes um, that we found. And I have to say, unfortunately, in my experience, I have known two young people who have had dyslexia, very serious dyslexia, were not treated well by the school system. And both, and both of them have committed suicide. And that's just in my experience. Now, um, there may be other factors. It's not, perhaps it's not only um, the, the dyslexia. And it does not mean that everybody who is dyslexia is at risk for suicide. And we don't mean that. But these particular individuals, there weren't really other major uh, emotional difficulties but it was the constant stress, the lack of self-esteem, the constant difficulties that they faced in school, basically from many unsympathetic teachers that um, would, were the factors that led to suicide. So, um, and it's, I guess for any parent, or even if you're not a parent, the tragedy of seeing a young person uh, take his or her own life is really uh, is really just too horrible um, to contemplate. So, uh, so that's how we discovered that. Great. Okay. Um, there's a question about if you could revamp the BC curriculum uh, for English language arts in in those early childhood and. Um, intermediate years, what would you think are the important points to hit? Uh, in the beginning, the two most important points are phonological awareness and phonics. Um, in the last I looked at the BC curriculum, phonological awareness in the 213 pages of the language arts curriculum was mentioned once, phonics was never mentioned. So clearly, and you can't just say we have to do phonics, you have to give uh, teachers some materials, uh, some good materials. Uh, so that's one, one very important. I think there is not enough emphasis on writing and uh, not handwriting, but uh, I think there has to be instruction in keyboarding skills uh, from very early on. I don't know how early, maybe seven or eight. Um, but yes, and you have to learn printing and cursive writing too, but you have to learn keyboarding skills. Um, I wish that, uh, and, and that's really critical, not just for children who are struggling, but for all of us. Um, really learning keyboarding skills. When, when I was in school uh, many years ago, um, there weren't even electric typewriters. So we had manual typewriters, but the typewriters in our typing class did not have the letters on the keys. So you had to learn touch typing because you couldn't look at the keys. It didn't give you any help. And of course, now that's not possible, but um, I really wish it was that really because those touch typing skills are important as is actually learning reading. I think we could do a lot more with morphology, understanding the structure of the English language, prefixes, suffix, root words, um, and even studying the Greek and Latin roots of our language. Now, not, not in grade one, of course, but even grade four, um, something like that is possible. So, um, and there is a lot of good literature available 
um, and I'm not sure how much of that is incorporated into it, but literature that picks up on children's interests is especially important for dyslexics, but not only for dyslexics. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that's just some of the things, but and really we have to do more with phonological awareness and phonics because we're not doing in terms of the curriculum, we're not doing anything now. Um, what about the strategies related to word attacks? So when a student comes to a word that they don't know, what should we be getting them to do? And what should we not tell them to do? Okay, well, that's, um, that's where basic phonics comes in. So uh, example that I was given by the, the people who argue against phonics was saying, Take a word like right, R-I-G-H-T. Um, that is, uh, you can't sound that out. Well, in fact, you can. So, you know the sound of R, that's pretty, R typically has one sound, T typically has one sound, so that's easy. So learning that kind of phonics. Well, what about I-G-H? Well, you're not gonna try and sound that out. But every time I-G-H occurs in an English word, it's said like a long I. So it's not just learning the sounds of the letters, but learning certain letter combinations. So if you see I-G-H, it always has the sound of I in any um, word that I could think of. Um, so, so teaching them strategies like that um, and uh, it, as has been proven many times, guessing is not a good strategy. Looking at the text and, um, uh, and guessing from the pictures, from the other words, it's, a, it's not a very uh, predict useful and uh, effective strategy. So no well, guessing. And no looking at the pictures. And I, I think one of the problems that we're having in British Columbia is parents are still being sent home resources that are telling their, them to prompt their child to guess based on context and based on the pictures. And this is something that needs to stop for September, 2023. And my opinion and the opinion of others, and if we look to the recommendations in the Ontario Human Rights Commission right to read, um, public inquiry, it explicitly states removing the three queuing method, methods and multi-queuing strategies. So we are not telling parents to tell their children to look at pictures or guess based on what they think is happening. It's important that we give students decodable texts instead of those predictable leveled texts. The, the first few levels are not teaching our children how to read. They're teaching us our children to look at pictures and remember patterns of sentence starters. So it's important that we incorporate the good quality phonics instruction that's teaching the grapheme phoneme correspondence. Now the grapheme can be a, a single letter. It can be a digraph or two letters or a trigraph, uh, or three letters, like the example that you mentioned for write. So it's, it's important that we include all of these elements from the beginning and that we provide professional development for the teachers uh, and individuals so that they understand the relationship between the letters and their sounds or the grapheme phoneme correspondences, and they have the resources available to do so. This is essential and um, it's, it's that part that's missing and, and it's why the group of us have created this symposium and are, are trying to make it so it's available to make sure our students have the right to read. Thank you so much, Dr. Siegel, for joining us today. Uh, I think a lot of us have enjoyed and learned from your presentation and we look forward to uh, hearing your thoughts on the panel question and answer session tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Okay, well, thank you to everybody for your great attention and questions and to the teachers and school personnel, um, really let's get together and try and do something about this.
Right. Thank you. So you can stop sharing your screen now, Dr. Siegel. Okay.